Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple. To make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me, like everybody else, at Jim Kramer. You can't understand this market unless you understand how big institutions that are involved in stocks do their business. So much of what you see on your screen is driven by not the Fed's comments, which well, a little boring today, even with that Zoom quadruple box, whatever they're doing, or retail sales that we got, or housing numbers, but what's happening at the morning's research meetings all over the country. And that includes today, where the Dow gained 37 points, even as the S&P only dipped 0.46%, and the Nasdaq lost 1.25%, more on that later. Today seemed like it was dominated by the Fed and the amazing Snowflake IPO, biggest software deal in history. And as someone who helped bring the Microsoft IPO to Goldman Sachs 35 years ago, I know a big deal when I see one. More on the demons that deal unleashed later in the show. But until the late afternoon sell-off, we had a nice rally going today, and that was all about what's going on behind the scenes. Every morning at these large firms, they have a meeting. In the meeting where research analysts come out and they pitch the sales force on individual stocks and entire industries, either as buys or holds, or very rarely, sells. After the pandemic got rolling, though, almost every piece of research that came out cut numbers for individual companies and suggested the situation was going to get far worse. The conclusion? Sell, sell, sell. Sell, sell, sell. I've never seen so many sell recommendations in my life since 2008. Makes sense. Obviously, the lockdown was going to hurt the house of pain. America's a service economy. How the heck was that supposed to hold up when so many services were off the table? For most analysts, the first thing said that forcing people to stay home would devastate the economy. Understandable. But that instinct turned out to be wrong. In part because the government gave us more than $2 trillion with a stimulus so that consumers could keep spending even if they lost their jobs. What really happened? Okay, parts of the economy have absolutely been devastated. The house of pain. This is a very bad time to own a bar or a restaurant, but other parts, they're on fire. COVID didn't wreck the way we do business in this country. It changed the way we do business in this country. For example, e-commerce is just extraordinary. It's lit. And last night, FedEx lit up the sky with its unbelievably better than expected quarter. Not only were they able to raise price, they are also seeing immense increases in volume. 
Management had thought they'd be shipping 100 million packages per day by 2026. That was their goal. You know, last night they said that now they expect to hit that number in 2023. You know, it's kind of like people with their eyes glazed over. That's astounding. It's an astoundingly positive revision. Uh, FedEx is assuming that whatever digital transition we're going through here, it's not done. In fact, it's going to stick with us even after we beat the pandemic. Do you know that a year ago, e-commerce was only 15% of retail? Now, according to FedEx, it's 21%. That's a huge shift. But you have to figure that number will just keep going higher and higher. But here's the rub. It's zero sum. As Executive Vice President Bree Carreri pointed out on the conference call, and I quote, U.S. spending that would normally have gone into services has shifted toward goods. Spending boosted further by pent-up demand, end quote. E-commerce is currently booming at holiday levels, while the service sector, she tells us, is severely impacted by the pandemic and high unemployment rates. So the analyst who covers FedEx, they all go over to what's known as the hoot and holler or, yes, the squawk box. And they tell their salespeople that they should call the firms they cover and they are boosting her, that she's boosting her price target. FedEx, because of all these positives and because of the upcoming holiday season, which they said will be like no other. They're not saying sell, sell, sell anymore, which is what they were doing when the stock was at 120 in the spring. They are saying buy, buy, buy at 235. That's buy, right. Buy, buy. They were telling us to sell, 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 when it was literally half of what it is now. Then professional money managers, clients of these firms see this positive research and they start thinking about the implications. First, the idea that markets become much less of a service economy, that's huge, even if it's temporary. Are we really turning to more of a manufacturing nation or are all sorts of service industries just doing very badly? When we heard from Fed Chief Jay Powell, he made me feel like we desperately need another stimulus bill from Congress because it's the only way to save these service businesses. I think he's right, but I'm skeptical that Democrats and Republicans will be able to reach a compromise. Either way, the pin action from FedEx caused the transports to roar and even allowed Boeing to rally on a day when the House of Representatives released a horrendous report about the company's problematic culture. Next up, we got a bunch of positive calls on housing, some spurred by what we heard from Stuart Miller, the executive chairman of Lennar, last night after the company's incredible quarter. Lennar stuck a question response to its numbers yesterday, but this morning the analysts got behind it en masse, and it came roaring back today, taking the whole cohort with it. Again, just like what we heard from FedEx about the goods economy overtaking the service economy, the strength in housing keeps catching the analysts by surprise. We have the incredible paradox of high single-digit unemployment coexisting with incredible home-building numbers and great demand. Now, that is not supposed to happen, even as this is an unprecedented situation. So the rally in Lenore gets delayed until the sell side can explain to the buy side what's going on. And the internal research people realize the pandemic has changed everything in this country. If you can work from home, you're not waiting for a vaccine. You're buying a new home with more space that's further away from your job. Because who cares about the commute when you can work remotely and it's even more profitable for most firms. Those homes have now become home slash offices. Look at that number tonight from Herman Miller, the maker of air on chairs that I told you to buy last Friday. They can convert any bedroom into an office. Yep, houses are being re-outfitted for the COVID economy, and that's causing sales to soar. And of course, anything involving furniture, whether it be at, at home, whether it be Wayfair, whether it be Williams-Sonoma, to do amazing. That's how Miller could say something so counterintuitive yet so true. The pandemic has created a housing boom. 
So we have a boom in shipping. We have a boom in housing. Yet we still have a weak economy that needs help from Washington. I know it seems crazy that FedEx and Lenore could be doing so well if the economy's in such bad shape. But you got to remember that the weakness is concentrated in small business that have nothing to do with the stock market. What else? We've written off all sorts of ne'er-do-well apparel plays and retailers like Coach, now known as Tapestry. Amazingly, the seller dweller caught an upgrade today, and Tapestries was one of the S&P's biggest winners. That fired up uh, the rest of the down-and-out retailers, Kohl's, Nordstrom. I prefer to stick with the tried-and-true and best of breed, like Lululemon, which is down too much from its high. But there's no denying the Tapestry upgrade bolstered the entire group. Finally, there's Larry Colton. He's the CEO of General Electric. He spoke at a Morgan Stanley conference, the annual Laguna Beach conference that I never got to go to. And he said something incredible. He expects GE to have positive cash flow in the second half of the year. No wonder the stock rallied more than 10%. I bet this, this stock will really get people excited tomorrow once everybody knows about it. Uh, I don't know anyone who's really expecting positive cash flow from GE. The pin action here, again, should take up all the analogous ones. You're going to see 3M go up. You're going to see Honeywell go up. And also Raytheon, which is members of the old United Technologies. That's just a sample of what the big institutions talked about this morning. It's how the manufacturers and transports and retailers could rally like crazy today, even as the Fed chairman sounded pretty downbeat and the tech stocks got hammered as people sold so they could buy a piece of snowflake. And we still need a stimulus bill. But the bottom line, these research firms explain the impossible today. We're seeing a booming goods economy in the midst of a terrible services recession. That's the opposite of the United States of America. If we get a stimulus package, both sides of the economy, though, could roar. Without it, different story. But if the last six months are any guide, it won't be like anything you've ever seen before. John in Connecticut. John. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. You're quite welcome. Uh, Several months ago, I purchased draft teams for my kids. It's had a significant climb since then without sports even taking off. Should I continue to hold it with the expectation of the sports increasing in the future, or should I take some of the profit? I, I like the company. In full disclosure, I, I do a program about sports called Bull Market Fantasy, and, one of our, and they just signed on as one of our sponsors. I just wanted to point that out. But I think it's a great company, and we've had them on numerous times, and they're very, very smart. Jay in Florida, please, Jay. Booyah. Hey, Jim. Big fan of yours. Thank you. Shout out from, Cle- shout out from Clearwater Till to beautiful, sunny Clearwater, Florida. Oh, my God. It's, a pre- it's spring training already. No, we're still losing. What's up? No, not too much, man. My question's on United Airlines, ticker UAL. Yes. I'm just wondering, why are other airlines like Delta, they're having increased price targets by analysts, and United is ba- being downgraded? I don't get it. I understand that United relies heavily on business and international travel. However, they have the most upside from their 52-week high compared to other airlines. Jay, Jay, listen to yourself. You just named exactly why it's not working. Business and international travel. Do I want to go someplace? Like, let's say you want to go to Italy right now. Here's what happens. You get on a plane, you fly to Milan, you get off the plane, and they put you back on the plane. I don't think that's a good use of your time or money. Let's go to Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi there, Jim. Uh, I'm looking for some of that uh, great Kramer insight you so generously share with oh, us. Oh, that's very kind. On the, the group of packaged food stocks and one stock in particular, the group seems to be coming steadily down even with the possibility or even a likelihood of an uptick in the coronavirus this fall. Uh, Campbell and Kellogg have been getting hit especially hard. Yes. 
What is your outlook for the group in general and for B&G Foods in particular? I think the group's come down too much, too hard. People like Marriott more than they like Campbell's. Okay, I get that. If the economy comes back, maybe you can buy that. But you know what? B&G, we had Ken Romanzi on recently, and I thought Ken made a very compelling story, very compelling, about how B&G's dividend is safe. It can even grow at 7% right now, and business is better than expected, particularly because of Green Giant. I like the stock. You can't understand this market unless you understand how big institutions do business. Today, these research firms explain the impossible, and it is impossible. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Campbell's suit. Uh, well, sales have surged during the pandemic. But can the company turn new customers into steady purchasers? I'm talking with the CEO. Then, 12 IPOs have doubled year-to-date in their IPO debut. Now, so how is the newest member of the IPO class of 2020 performing? I'm eyeing JFrog after its first day of trading. And in September 2019, activist starboard value entered Box. Tonight, I'm sitting down with the CEO one year later to look back at the company's performance. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right now, this market seems to be troubled by what we call defensive stocks, the slow and steady growers that tend to thrive during a recession. Most of the economy seems to be in the doldrums, but a lot of it's doing too well to own these stocks. And the lack of love from Wall Street means you're getting some, I think, incredible deals. So take Campbell's suit. Now, this trades at just 15 times earnings. It's got a 3% yield. It generates a huge amount of cash. We put this one in our COVID-19 index back in April. And sadly, it's the third worst performer out of 100 because Campbell's Soup is not what you buy in accelerating economy. But it doesn't mean you throw it away. When the company reported a couple of weeks ago, the actual numbers were terrific. 18% sales growth, for heaven's sake. But the stock still got slammed. Some of that's because management couldn't really give any guidance for the next fiscal year. The future's too uncertain. Everybody feels that way. Mostly it's because of the pantry plays. They're out of style. That won't be true forever, though. So let's take a closer look with Mark Klaus. He's the turnaround artist, president and CEO of Campbell Soup. He had a better sense of how his company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Klaus, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, great to be back with you. All right, so Mark, we want to get one thing straight, and I owe you one on this. 
I read there was a whole the whole conference call, and there was one word you, word you talked about. You said maybe we'll get back to normalcy, and I misinterpreted that as meaning that you felt that perhaps buyers had gotten ahead of themselves in Campbell's product, and now we're going to go back to normal, which is the old slow way. That was not a good way to view it. Correct? That that is absolutely correct. I, I think that. Uh, certainly the point we were making or trying to make is that in many ways it's a new normal. Um, you know, we, we've trained and educated an entire new generation of consumers that are now cooking with our products. And I think, you know, although uh, we, we live in some volatile times, the, the base for our business and our products, the outlook has never been brighter. And we feel that that stickiness or that continuation of that behavior of cooking is going to continue. And I think we are very, very well positioned with our portfolio, whether it's our super broth business, but also our prego and our pace business to really meet consumer needs where that behavior is happening. So we feel great about the fact that as we enter into a new normal, uh, that this is going to be a, a, an elevated level of relevance. For I want to go further. It seems as if maybe demand was so strong that you actually had supply constraints and could have even reported a better number than what we saw. That's right. I, you know, I think as we enter into our sixth month now uh, of this elevated level of demand through the pandemic and on businesses that, that arguably walking into the into the uh, pandemic, um, we're, we're steady businesses that now are experiencing growth rates uh, substantially above anything that we've seen historically. That's put some pressure on supply. But I feel great about the actions that we've taken, whether it's adding capacity selectively on businesses um, like our goldfish business or our kettle chips business or even our broth business, or whether it's adding co-manufacturers or better prioritizing what we're manufacturing. The team is doing an amazing job executing, and I'm 100% comfortable uh, that we're going to address these problems. And as we move through the fall and into the winter, the hardest soup season, uh, we're going to be in a great position to meet the demands of our consumers uh, and our retail partners and with that, I think, is going to come along momentum and growth and continued progress on share. Right, so, Mark, there had been a bit of a, a, a conflict here mentally. The millennials, it looked like they saw Campbell's Soup and they thought, salt, 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 salt. This new group of people, let's call them Gen X, whatever you want to call them, but younger people, they are not as interested. They're, they certainly care about health. They look at the label. But they look at the label and they see that it isn't filled with all these preservatives. They look at the price and they think, good, because I don't make a lot of money. And then they buy. Yeah, and, and you know, Jim, that, that is really, you know, when we talk about uh, making the most of a very difficult and tough situation in the pandemic, you know, that is what we're talking about, is that our products have now entered into millions of new households. More than 50% of them are millennials. And I think what millennials are discovering is a variety of things, but starting with the fact that our products fit very well into their lifestyle, what they're targeting for health and wellness, thinking about things like the presence of, of vegetables or the lack of added preservatives. I mean, one of the things that I think people have have always struggled with conceptually is the fact that at, perhaps after freezing, canning is the most natural way to preserve food. And the idea that what is in the can is actually good food has been a big focus of what we've been working on, both in communication as well as the renovations of the product that we did well before the, the, the pandemic. And certainly we're glad that foundation uh, was in place. But yes, I think you've got a new generation of consumers um, that are using our product and are pleased with what they're able to do. 
And, and I think with that in mind, we expect that to continue going forward. In the meantime, snacking for the work from home people, it just seems like they're addicted. They tend to eat six, seven times a day rather than the old days when they have a breakfast before they go to work. They have lunch at work and then they go home and they like snacks and your portfolio fits their profile. Yeah, you know, we we just talked about our meals and beverage business as it relates to this uh, resurgence of demand on these fabric of the nation brands like Campbell's, Swanson and Prego. That's 50% of our revenue. I think the great news for us with the relevancy and the acceleration of the growth there, the other 50% of our revenue is a snacks business that is in a highly differentiated in highly differentiated spaces that has been growing before the pandemic, accelerated through this period of time, and we really expect that to grow going forward. And I think if you put those two pieces together, it is why we feel there's such a bright future. Uh, for the trajectory of the company. Uh, one last question. I know when you came in, people were worried about the balance sheet. They don't worry anymore. And one of the reasons is because the cash flow here is humongous. If the stock stays here and things stabilize, buyback, resumption of a bigger dividend, what is, what's your thoughts? Well, certainly one of the, the things that we're really excited about is the progress that we've made on reducing debt. As you point out, we are a highly cash generative business, you know, able to be in complete control. Uh, of our destiny and to be able to be in that position uh, essentially a year earlier uh, than we expected is a, is a great spot to be in. I also think we're, we're living somewhat in some uh, dynamic times. Right. We want to make sure that, that we're being prudent and thoughtful about how we continue to deploy our capital to make sure we're investing in the business, obviously protecting dividend and, and, and kind of the thesis of what our company is is very important, uh, you know, ensuring everybody that we stay on that path. And then as we go forward, continuing to look at what those other opportunities are to generate value. But I think at the end of the day, the great news is we're in a position uh, where we've taken care of business on that side and I think are, are putting ourselves um, in a position where we have options and choices, and that's where we want to be. All right. Well, it's hard to find value in this market other than unless you think that uh, Snowflake's value. And I want to thank Mark Klaus, President and CEO of Campbell Soup, for coming on. Set the record straight. Good to see you, sir. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Right. Not every stock in your portfolio can be a snowflake, a, a workday, an octa. It's okay to find something like a Campbell's Soup because it's doing really well. Man Money's back here. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Well, everybody's talking about Snowflake, right? The cloud-based data warehousing play where the stock that skyrocketed right out of the gate. Almost obscene, I think. The largest software IPO in history. Priced at 120 
And then the dark thing opened at $245, more than doubling after a long delay because there was so much demand. I really don't like that. You know where I come down, Snowflake? It's a great company with a stock that's way too expensive for me to get beyond. I gave a lecture today to club members. I thought the stock was going to go up around 50 times sales, and I said that was too expensive. It ended up being 100. But there was another major cloud IPO today, and we're going to look at this one. This was the oddly named JFrog, like J-Lo, JFrog, which, which priced at $44. It opened at 71 and then it pulled back to just under 65 by the close. Now, we mentioned this one last week. JFrog has a cloud-based pro platform for DevOps. I know it sounds military, but it means development and operations. The idea here is that their software helps software engineers collaborate with their people who actually manage their technology once it's created. Somewhere along the way, tech companies figured out that their software works a lot better with these two groups communicating with each other regularly. So DevOps was born. There are huge benefits to, to handling this stuff well, which is why so many investors were excited to get in on the JFrog deal. However, uh, just like uh, Snowflake, I think this is a situation where you got a high-quality company that's a stock that's already too hot to handle. Sorry, it's called discipline. I have it. So let me explain why I like JFrog the business, even as I'm a lot less excited about JFrog the rocket ship stock. First, though, you need to understand what these guys actually do. Like I said before, the whole idea behind DevOps is that the right hand should know what the left hand's doing. In the old days, the software industry didn't really work like that. Developers would make the software, IT would provide tools, and operations would handle production systems. There was not much collaboration or cross-pollination, and that created lots of problems. Your developers might make something that works great in isolation, but has tons of bugs when the operations team actually put it to work in the real world. And that's where JFrog comes in. They got an end-to-end hybrid universal DevOps platform for continuous software release management. Just saying that, I feel smarter than I did. Basically, the system allows companies to build and release software faster and more securely. They're the bridge between the development team and the operations team. And look, this is not just about the tech industry. We live in a world where everybody's trying to digitize. How many nights a week do I say that? Either you embrace technology to better engage with your customers and manage your employees, or you become somebody else's lunch. And it doesn't matter whether it's housing like Lenar or railroads like Union Pacific. And that's why all sorts of businesses develop their own software these days, and they all benefit from the tools like JFrog's. That's why the company serves, look at this, all 10 of the largest technology organizations in the Fortune 500, along with 8 out of 10 top financial services organizations, 9 out of the top 10 retailers, 8 out of the top 10 healthcare organizations, and 7 of the top 9 telco companies. And we're talking about Google, Amazon, Netflix, Cisco, Oracle, VMware, Facebook, Spotify, out of breath, Dell, Microsoft. But that's why you have a great graphic like this, because you don't need to say them all. These are some impressive clients. When Microsoft and Amazon use your software, I mean, those guys, you know, they're like warring partners. Actually, a lot of these guys are warring partners. A lot of them are friends, though. Well, then that is fantastic. All right. And you usually don't see that. All these companies are now in the business of continuously releasing new software. They have to be able to keep it current and quickly react to problems as they pop up. Now, this is something that gets me very angry. You may have noticed it, too. Remember, you have to continually restart your computer to install software updates. That's the new normal. 
But as JFrog sees it, we're headed for a world of nonstop, always-on software updates. And DevOps is what makes that possible. JFrog is often called the database of DevOps because it platforms the system of record for all the organization's software. But if you want to know why Wall Street couldn't get enough of this thing, it's because of the financials. JFrog had 65% revenue growth last year. And while that slowed to 50% in the first half of 2020, 50% growth is still the kind of number a lot of CEOs would kill for. Remember, high 20s is fantastic. Because this is a software-as-a-service company, most of that subscription revenue makes up 92% of the total, and that is good. Think recurring. We love recurring. The most impressive thing, though, unlike most of these cloud plays, JFrog's within spitting distance of turning a profit. They only lost $5.4 million last year, and in the first six months of 2020, they came within a half million dollars of breaking even. And that's not some fluke. JFrog had consistently positive cash flow for years now. That's why the company only had to raise $162 million of primary capital since it was, since it was created, and it's why the, the balance sheet remains pristine. I think they could easily turn a profit next year. What else? We know they're winning a lots of business from their terrific stable of customers because their net dollar retention rate stands at 139%. When that number's below 100, it means you're losing existing business. When it's over 100, you're gaining business from your old clients. And boy, are they gaining. On top of that, JFrog's generalizing, generating these amazing numbers without much of a sales force. They've got a very lean sales organization. The customers are coming to them, not the other way around. Oh, boy, is that ever fantastic. Listen to what CEO Shlomi Ben-Hayim told Carl Quintanilla on Squawk Alley this very morning. We have no field sales. We have no reps in the field. And basically, our products are being bought and not sold. That helps the company a lot when you have a superior product it's very rare. Uh, as someone who taught sales at Goldman, I've always said that everything needs to be sold. There's very few products that just get bought. Well, JFrog's got one. Think about all the household name companies on JFrog's client list that came to them. Long story short, JFrog's business has a lot going for it. I think this is a great story. But, and this is one of those big butts, a certain mix a lot, but this stock's giving me vertigo. JFrog's valuation is already in nosebleed territory. When the company initially filed its IPO paperwork last month, they floated an initial public uh, rate price range of 33 to 37. Earlier this week, they raised the range from 39 to 41. Then this morning, the deal priced above that at 44. At those levels, it was a $4 billion company. When JFrog opened for trading at 1230, it had already soared to $71.27, which made it a $6.5 billion company. And while it closed down a few points from these levels, it's far from cheaper. Keep in mind, late last year, they were considering an IPO with just a $1.5 billion valuation. Late last year, at the IPO price, JFrog was already trading 25 times a rough 2020 sales estimate. At the opening price, it was selling for more than 40 times sales that puts it toward the high end of the cloud-based software stocks. Yes, it's got Zoom-like valuation, but does not have Zoom-like growth. Now, this morning, I said I'd be willing to pay up to 50 times sales for uh, the other big IPO today, uh, Snowflake. Even that felt ridiculous to say, but Snowflake's got a triple, ludicrous, triple-digit growth rate. And it quickly started trading at more than 100 times sales, which I tell you, doesn't often work out. JFrog's only growing at a 50% clip, so you can't pay as much for that, even as the company's much closer to profitability than its IPO birthday buddy. JFrog's growth is more in line with that of something like Encino. Remember, N, capital C, I-N-O, the financial services play that came public in July, at, but I like this one. Encino trades at about 35 times sales. When they were on not that long ago, I said, this is a company that's hard to beat. 
good moat. To bless JFrog at the same level, we'll put it around 60, down nearly five bucks here, still a tad too expensive. You know where I really feel comfortable with this? Don't laugh. In the high 40s is where you want to buy this one. That's down about 15 points from where it went out. That's where I would put it uh, in the bullpen. Bottom line, JFrog's another terrific company with a stock that's simply too hot to handle right now. It's sizzling. So you know what? We get sell-offs. Don't forget Zoom fell from 450 to 350 in a blink of an eye. We get sell-offs. And when we do, maybe you can get this stock at a much less exorbitant price. Bye, bye, bye. Let's go to Daniel in New Jersey. Daniel, my brother. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Daniel from New Jersey. Um, listen, I'm trying to diversify away from tech at the moment. Um, I have some cash to put in the market. Um, and with the recent IPO of Albertson and its low P&E, what do you say? Is it now, now is the time to get in for the long term, or should I look at another uh, supermarket? Uh, I have been stock? flummoxed. I liked Albertson when it came public. I like everything they're doing. But last week, Kroger reported an amazingly good quarter, and the darn thing cannot get out of its way. I want you to hold off, ACI. Uh, we're going to do more work. I think it's cheap, but I need a catalyst. Let's go to UL in Florida, UL. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call, bud. Of course. Uh, got a question for you. Uh, so tech being so heavily utilized nowadays and the increased importance on cybersecurity, what are your thoughts on CrowdStrike at its current price? Um, CrowdStrike, George Kurtz was on uh, our show not that long ago. He's got an excellent business model. I think that uh, what happened today with uh, Snowflake is going to cause people to take a little pause because that stock is up gigantically for the year. So I'd like to wait a little bit before I tell you to buy it. It's one of the hottest stocks in the market. And right now, the hottest stocks could be under assault by additional IPOs coming to the market. Sure, JFrog is a high-quality company. But the stock, we well, yeah, look, great climbers. But the stock is too hot to handle right now. I need, you know what I need? Uh, I, I need some mitts. You know what I need? Oven mitts. We're going to bring up. Cue the oven mitts. All right, much more mad money ahead, including my suits with the CEO of Box. As the shift to remote work looks more permanent, I'm asking how the company's positioned to take advantage of the new normal. Then, talk about a snowstorm. I'm eyeing the debut of Snowflake and telling you what the action means for the overall market. That's what's important. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. On a day when not one but two huge cloud IPOs shot up to stratospheric valuations, are there any cloud stocks that could conceivably be described as cheap? Maybe some profitable ones we can buy under 20 bucks. Well, how about Box, the cloud-based storage and mobile collaboration platform with a cybersecurity kicker? Here's a more mature company with a stock that sells for just 25 times next year's earnings estimates, and there's a great turnaround story here. See, roughly a year ago, the activist investors at Starboard Value came in and started agitating for change. Six months later, they reached an agreement with management, and since March, both sides have been working to jumpstart Box's growth while bolstering its margins. So far, it's working, with the stock up 70% since we last spoke to management in April. Tomorrow, Box hosts its annual customer and partner event. This time, it'll be fully digital, where they'll unveil all sorts of innovations. But before then, we want to get a sense of how much things have already improved. So let's check in with Aaron Levy. He is the co-founder and chairman and CEO of Box to learn more about how his company's doing. Aaron, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, thanks, Jim. Uh, thanks for having me. All right, first, congratulations. A profitable quarter. What was it made up of and how recurring will it be? Yeah, so um, we were super happy about the Q2 that, uh, that we just announced a couple of weeks ago. 
uh, we were able to beat on uh, revenue estimates um, and, uh, and the guidance we gave on revenue, on EPS, on operating margin, and, um, and also delivered strong billings and cash flow performance. So really happy about the quarter. We also raised our, our guidance for the full year on revenue as well as our operating margin targets uh, for the full year. So I think you know, we are firing on all cylinders right now, even though it's a very, very uh, dynamic environment. And obviously, you know, uh, uh, the broader macroeconomic environment it still remains uh, a challenge, I think, in many sectors. Um, we are seeing growth uh, at this time, and, uh, and we're seeing a lot of our enterprise customers continue to expand with us as they go and drive broader digital transformation initiatives. But let's think about that, Aaron. You're doing things virtually. I mean, it's not like you're going out to dinner with people and trying to impress the enterprise why they need Box. And yet you had pretty much the same number of very big sales. How is that possible? Are we missing something in how we used to do business and how we do business more efficiently now? Well, I, I, think, um, I think one of the great ironies uh, probably that we'll look back on is, um, is that the, uh, the industry that, uh, is, uh, that is focused on selling digital technology spend so much time in the physical world trying to sell that technology. And I think what we're seeing is that, you know, customers want really great products. Uh, they want those uh, products to be delivered efficiently to them. And, um, and you can do remote selling over a video conference, over WebEx or Zoom, in many cases, just as easily as you, you could in person, with the other benefit of you can now reach more customers in a single day or in a single week. So as an example, we have our customer conference happening tomorrow. We'll have about uh, 25,000 uh, registered attendees to that event, which is three or four times larger than what we would have in the physical world. So we're able to reach more customers. We're able to have more conversations and we're ultimately able to support our customers right now with our technology, which is helping them move to the cloud, helping them secure their, their corporate data, making it easier to collaborate securely across uh, enterprises and then ultimately integrated with all of their applications. I speak to a lot of hoteliers, a lot of airlines. And one of the things is the business traveler has disappeared. I listened to what you just said. You're offering and inaugurating complicated data security workflow and collaboration software for the new way of working. Maybe that your margins will permanently go up because you won't have people flying all over the place, spending nine hundred dollars a night in a hotel room and eight hundred dollars for a nice bottle of wine. Well, fortunately, we weren't spending nine hundred dollars a night previously, but. Um, but, uh, but point definitely taken. I think, um, you know, I, I think what this event has, uh, has forced every business to realize is, is what, uh, what does it really um, take to serve their customers? And uh, how much can be done digitally? How can they deliver better experiences for their customers? We've talked to numerous investment banks, professional services firms, advertising agencies that are saying, we're actually serving our customers better in this environment because we can now have a, a, a better client experience that is more consultative where we can bring our senior partners onto these conversations in a way that wouldn't be possible before because they had to fly around the, the world. Um, and so I think you're seeing a lot of businesses realize they can be more customer-centric as they move digitally. Now, that is not to say that, that we want the, the broader macro reason for why we're in this mode to continue. I mean, we, we want offices to open up. We think the future of offices is one where it's going to be a hybrid way of working. You come into the office for some set of uh, tasks and activities, but you're able to work remotely uh, in a more seamless way as well. So I think I think the future is a hybrid one, but I think what, what enterprises are looking for is the ability to create better digital experiences for their employees, for their customers, and they're investing in cloud solutions to be able to go and drive this. In the meantime, the starboard guys, as helpful as you said they might be the month after they got in? Yeah, so uh, I think we've had a great experience uh, with the partnership. They've 
Um, you know, I think uh, advocated for some very positive, uh, uh, you know, continued evolution of the business and the underlying business model. Um, we felt the same as them last year. We were growing too slowly and not producing enough profit. Um, and coming into this year, we wanted to make sure we stabilized growth. We obviously didn't know about the, 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 the pandemic at that time. So we had, you know, certain estimations on what might happen. And some of those were correct. Some we had to evolve. Um, but what we were able to do is drive way greater profitability than I think what the market had initially anticipated. So um, that shows the strengths of the underlying business model that we have. It shows the underlying efficiency that we're able to deliver our results with. And, uh, and I think, you know, we're going to just continue to march on this, this path of executing where we drive greater growth, greater profitability going forward. And, and ultimately, I think it's a, a testament to the team at Box and then ultimately the demand in the market from our customers. Well, it's incredible. Some stocks are selling at ridiculous levels, ridiculous multiple sales, and some stocks are selling at, I think, too cheap multiples to earnings, including Box. Aaron Levy, Chairman and CEO of Box, congratulations on all that profitability. Great to see you. Thanks, Jim. Not everything has to be 100 times sales. I mean, sometimes you can buy a stock that's going to be doing well, making money, and it's reasonably valued, like Box. Mint Money's back into the break. It is time! It's time and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead or the lightning round? Let's start with Christos in Connecticut. Christos! Booyah, Professor Kramer, a.k.a. Jimmy Chill. The chill man, but under heat-seeking missile fire, he'd be chilling. What's up? About six weeks ago, you recommended this company, and even though you don't like the industry, I want to know your take on it today. Do you still like Parsley Energy? Parsley and Chevron are the only two oil stocks I will recommend. They are the two best run. Parsley's the small one. Chevron's the big one. And all the rest between, no dunka. Tammy in Wyoming. Tammy! Hi, Jim. I'm a first-time caller, recently back in the market since COVID, and grateful for your guidance. Oh, you're quite welcome. What's going on? Well, thanks to your interview with the CEO of Zoom, I took a nugget and turned it into gold. After oh, good. He mentioned using use, using the equipment. I purchased the stock the next day. It's up 47%. I already trimmed my position to take money off the table, like the boss says, and I'm playing on the house money. So tell me, should I be doubling down, moving on? No, you should be by my co-host. Logitech? I mean, because you're doing everything right. And how about they got Eric Yuan from Zoom? How much do I think he is fantastic? And then you've got the amazing uh, Bracken Darrell, who at 35 told me not to worry and catch a double. You're doing it perfectly. Let's just keep it going. Jerry in Florida. Jerry! Jimmy Chill. Happy hump day. That's right. It's Wednesday. I totally forgot. What's going on? <laughs> what are your thoughts on Alteryx? Ticker symbol A Y. All right. Alteryx is the kind of company, you know, I think it's just absolutely terrific. But I've got to tell you, people will sell a stock like Alteryx in order to be able to get cash, um, frankly, that, well, we put the work in the next deal. And that's kind of what's going on. Um, that's what I see when I look at what happened today with Snowflake. Let's go to Jim in California. Jim. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Hi. Thank you. For, thank you for taking my call. It's an honor and privilege. Anyways, Uber. Um, it's been positive rally the last six out of the seven days. 
sell or hold. I'm at my break-even point. Sell or hold. Uh, we don't care where stock's coming from. We care where it's going to. I think Uber's actually doing okay. I think that uh, people will take out food from now until the cows come home. And with restaurants opening a little bit, be a lot of delivery. Uber Eats is good. I like the industry consolidating, so I think you are okay in Uber. Dave in New York. Dave. Hey, Jim. Long-time listener, second-time caller. i got a question for you. Recently bought 1,000 shares at 367. want you to tell where I'm going with Nordic American Takers. Ticker symbol NAT. Uh, I think that, you know, I think you made a little bit of money. It's time to move on. I mean, I know that the rates are just okay right now. They were fabulous. Can it go back to four and a half? Perhaps the rates can turn around. But I know, and uh, Herb Jordan Hansen thinks they can. I'm a little more uh, circumspect. Cody in Washington. Cody. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call for of a course. long time. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to ask you, um, get your take on a stock that um, uh, is more of a digital gaming platform, but they're expanding the e-commerce and fintech as well. Um, it's C-Limited. I see that stock going all the time, and i got to tell you, I don't know why that is. And I've got to find out before I recommend the stock or not. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Why did the NASDAQ sell off this afternoon? Sell, 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 sell. Simple. It's because of Snowflake. People sold many of the major tech stocks, anything they could actually, wasn't nailed down, to get a piece of this red-hot deal. And that's what you better start getting used to. The last thing this market needs is a tidal wave of new IPOs. But after the incredible action Snowflake today will get what? That's exactly what you're going to get. Don't get me wrong. Snowflake is a fantastic company. And they deserve to raise $3.36 billion from their IPO today, the largest software deal in history. I predicted the stock would explode higher right out of the gate, although I didn't expect it would double. Darn thing closed up 112%. The Snowflake IPO was a stunning success for the existing shareholders and anyone who got in on the actual deal at 120. Lots of winners here. The losers, though, you know, everybody else. It's no coincidence that the Snowflake IPO came right before a big sell-off in the NASDAQ. They had to sell stocks in order to pay for the snowflake they bought earlier in the day. See, today we saw the first wave in a deluge of new IPOs from privately held companies that have been eager to cash out for ages. Many of them are exciting businesses with fabulous growth stories, like Airbnb, which is cleaning up right now as their hotel competitors fall apart. There's Palantir, the surveillance company, and Stripe, the exciting financial services name, and GoodRx, which has an app that can save you a fortune on prescription drugs. I know, I use it. How many companies will be coming public? Too many. Why? Because as I told you before, the stock market is a market. And when you add a bunch of new supply to market, prices tend to go down across the board. Remember Act 10? Specifically, the big institutional money managers who make up the bulk of the action simply don't have enough cash to handle all of this new stock. Look at Snowflake. The big boys wanted in on this one badly, and many of them had to raise cash to get in on the deal. When you're running a large hedge fund, you might need half a million shares in a company like Snowflake for your position to move the needle of your fund. That might set you back $100 million if you got half your shares in the IPO, and then you bought the other half in the aftermarket. That's a lot of money. you got to find that money. 
thing is, institutional money managers probably don't have $100 million in cash just lying around. If they want a sizable position in Snowflake, they have to make a less sizable position in something else. They need to sell stock in something that looks like Snowflake to them and sell they did. And that's why the tech-heavy Nasdaq collapsed this afternoon. When Snowflake nearly doubled right out of the gate, they realized they need even more cash than they thought if they wanted to establish a meaningfully sized position. Maybe they were prepared to pay 150 for hundreds of thousands of shares, but they sure weren't prepared to pay 250. So they had to sell something else, which is why you saw so many other cloud stocks that seem like Snowflake with sky high valuations getting slammed almost immediately. For example, Adobe just delivered a great quarter, but it had the misfortune of reporting on the day of the Snowflake IPO, so its stock dropped more than 4%. ServiceNow got whacked on what otherwise might have been an update. Same goes for Zoom Video, CrowdStrike, Zscaler, and many others, including big fintech plays like PayPal or Square, where there was actually positive research of the high-flying tech stocks the only one that really kind of hung in there was Salesforce. And that might be because Salesforce bought $250 million for the Snowflake at the IPO price, an investment that immediately doubled. Nice work if you can get it. This dynamic should actually worry you. Yeah, it should concern you at home. There are dozens of similar deals coming in in the not-too-distant future, and they'll put the same kind of downward pressure on this group that's been leading the market higher. We have been through the IPO cycle before. We know how it goes. We got a huge wave of cloud deals in 2014, and that experience was just brutal. Older people remember the huge wave of deals in 1999-2000, and that was annihilation. The best one comes first, and that's Snowflake. Then they give you the second best one. Then they give you the third best and so on. The underwriters like to front load the highest quality deals. By the end, when the worst ones are coming public, the whole thing fizzles out because there's no more money to buy them at all. And that's when things turn ugly. People wonder about what can kill a bull market. I always say it's easy. You just flood the market with too much supply, particularly bad supply. Well, they're not there yet by any means. I think today does indeed mark the beginning of a trend that will do real damage to some of the best performers out there. And that's why you're going to see a lot of profit taking between now and the end of the month. Just look at the late afternoon collapse of the NAS, almost all of which can be blamed on the strength of Snowflake. No, you don't need to be panicking. I don't want you to panic. It's not a strategy. But you don't even need to be that concerned yet. But as we get more and more deals, and we will after the Snowflake performance, you need to get more and more cautious. Healthy for Snowflake holders. Unhealthy for the rest of tech, as we saw today. Stick with me. Now, keep thinking about Campbell's. Now, here's a very good manager with a very good set of brands, with a good yield and amazing cash flow. And nobody wants the stock because they're so busy buying Snowflake. Now, I like Snowflake more than most people, and I think the CEO, Frank Slootman, is great. I think paying 100 times sales for something is something that has tended not to work out, whereas paying 15 times for a class brand name that might bore you but will let you sleep at night, that's for me, Campbell's. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I probably started finding it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.